Uh, turn with me to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 here in a moment. Samuel heard three times a voice. He runs to Eli. What do you need? Eli says, I didn't say anything. Go back to sleep. Finally, the third time, Eli says, hmm, this might be the Lord. He says, go back and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And, of course, you know, God gave Samuel a message about Eli's family being being taken out of out of service and that a new priest would be raised up to serve Israel. And um, Paul was on a missionary journey and he had a plan where he was going to go and God told him, no, you don't need to go this way. You need to go to Macedonia and you need to minister in Macedonia. And Paul responded and and, uh, we have some very great and precious scriptures because of that. Uh, in the scripture that were written to those uh, Macedonian churches. Uh, what a blessing to hear from God. And, you know, throughout history, God has spoken. Uh, the primary way that he speaks to us is through his word. And so many times um, God has spoken to me, uh, applying his word to a specific situation in my life. He's spoken to me uh, through the word's message uh, maybe that exposed my sin or uh, different different things that God's Word does. Uh, but I think God also leads us through His Holy Spirit. Um, you say, well, how do you, how do you tell what's from God and what's not from God? Well, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and uh, they, they follow me. Uh, so, so there is a sense in which we know in, inherently in our hearts from God... Um, when he is speaking to us. There are those times where it's very clear. But there are other times, I think, where we need to be careful because the Scripture says, test the spirits to see if they be of God. Sometimes you might hear from the other side. (laughs) And um, anything that contradicts God's Word, anything that causes trouble or discord, uh, uh, stirs up what is wrong in the church, is not of God. Um, but um, but I do think God wants us to hear from him. I think God wants us to speak into our lives. And Psalm 32 is an example of that very thing. Um, David is sharing how he had struggled. He had sinned. He committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba. He had covered it up with the murder of her husband by sending him to the front lines. Um, David had greatly sinned against God. And David had experienced the discipline of God. But uh, before he confessed his sin, he went through a season of time where he was away from God. And um, not that God wasn't present, but the fellowship was broken and he was in a spiritual desert. But in that time, God, I think, was calling him back to himself. Sometimes that spiritual desert is is a way of God's getting our attention and bringing us back. But anyway, um, David eventually is approached by Nathan the prophet who confronts him over his sin. He confesses it and says, I have sinned 
And uh, God forgave his sin and used him in his life. There were consequences for his sin, but, but the relationship was restored uh, and God continued to use David in his life. And so David is in this psalm is sharing some of his experience about where he has been and how God has brought him back and how God is now again working in his life and speaking to him and blessing him in different ways. Um, I think we need to uh, take the steps of preparation to hear from God and follow his leading. Uh, the title of my message is Preparing to Hear from God. Psalm 32 verse 1. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the man the Lord does not charge with sin, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you took away the guilt of my sin. Salah. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you at a time that you may be found. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you. And show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like the horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Preparing to hear from God. What are the things that we should consider in preparing to hear from God? Well, first of all, consider your relationship. There is no hearing from God aside from the conviction for sin um, when a person doesn't know Jesus Christ. Uh, Consider your relationship. Uh, David says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David made prophecies about the coming Messiah, but he also participated in the worship of Israel. And every time they would offer a sacrifice, uh, they would place their hands on the sacrifice and said, confess their sin. Then that sacrifice would be put on the altar and would be killed, and the blood would come out at the side of the altar as a symbol of the fact that the sin had been transferred to the substitute, but it was a picture of what Jesus would later come to do. There's only one way that transgression is truly dealt with, that sin is truly covered, and that is through the sacrifice and blood of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life. He died a death as our substitute, took the full weight and penalty of the sin and justice of God upon himself, the wrath of God upon himself, and said, it is finished, and rose from the dead. Um, How blessed it is. Some of you have surrendered to Christ and put your trust in him. Uh, How blessed it is to know that your sin is forgiven. One of the scriptures in Colossians says, He has blotted out the handwriting that was against us. Taken it out of the middle, in other words, between us and God, and nailed it 
to the cross. I want to tell you something. Every sin I have committed, every sin I will commit has been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. He, he paid for the charge of my sin. That's what they would do. They would write the charge for which you died upon your cross. Jesus died for my sin and he died for your sin. My sin is forgiven. My transgression is covered. When God looks at me, he doesn't see a filthy sinner. He sees the sparkling, pure, holy righteousness of Jesus Christ. How blessed it is. The veil has been torn. I've been given access into his presence. I've been adopted into his family. I've been reconciled in my relationship. How blessed it is. When your sin is forgiven, your transgression is covered. What a beautiful thing. You need to look and examine at your um, situation before God. Have you surrendered your heart to Christ and put your trust in him? If so, your relationship is secure. The Bible says he gives eternal life. And eternal life is just that. So consider your relationship. Do you know Jesus Christ? If you don't, Uh, You need to put your trust in what he has done and put your trust in him as an individual to save you from sin, the penalty and the power of sin. He will do so as you surrender and put your trust in him. So that's the first step, preparing to hear from God. Consider your relationship. Secondly, consider your fellowship. Consider your fellowship. Another scripture says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's not that God doesn't physically hear. Have you ever had somebody get mad at you and you were speaking to them and they didn't respond? They didn't have a problem hearing what you said. Well, probably, you know, maybe they had a, some people have a hearing disability. But usually the case is that they hear what you say, they're just not responding. Why? They're upset. When we sin against God, it grieves the Holy Spirit. We basically put God at arm's length. It's not that he's not present, but the fellowship is broken. And so, how do we restore that fellowship? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, Fellowship is restored. 1 John is about fellowship. He speaks in that chapter about the fellowship that we have with each other, but our fellowship is with God the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Confession restores the fellowship. That's what David is talking about uh, in verses 3 through 5. In verses 3 and 4, he's describing the spiritual desert. He says, my bones became brittle. I was groaning all day long. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained. He's experiencing discipline for sin. Hebrews 12 says that God, if if you're a son, if you're a child of God, son or daughter, God will discipline you when you persist in sin. Um, David had not confessed his sin. He went through that season of time where the discipline of God was upon him. But then in verse 5, he says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. Isn't it funny how sometimes we don't want to acknowledge what we've done wrong? Um, We don't want to admit when we've made a mistake. That's a hard thing to do sometimes, isn't it? But with God, he already knows it. He's omniscient. (laughs) He knows 
the sin even before we commit it, what, what it's going to be. And so uh, acknowledge it to him. By the way, if you look back up at verse 2, he said, In whose spirit is no deceit. Acknowledging your sin is part of what it means to come to Christ in the first place. Because you need to understand that you're a sinner before you understand that you need a Savior. And you've got to be honest enough with yourself that you say, Hey, I have sinned against God. I need the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ. Well, that's true for salvation, but it's also true for fellowship. You need to acknowledge your sin. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not conceal my iniquity. Proverbs says, the one who covers his sin will not prosper. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. By the way, a transgression is a sin that you commit intentionally. You know it's wrong, but you commit it anyway. You took away the guilt of my sin. So consider your fellowship. Before David had the blessing of God restored to his life, he had to consider his relationship and he had to consider his fellowship. Once he took care of those things, the lines of communication were open. And so one reason a lot of people don't uh, ever um, hear much from God is because they have undealt with sin in their life. Sometimes people are unwilling to forgive someone for a wrong in the past. Um, I had one lady that came to me in my first church. Uh, her husband had been killed in, in his business, and uh, she said, I'm having trouble forgiving. I, they don't even know who these people are. And, uh, and she asked for some counsel, which I gave, and, and I gave her a book, uh, which she read. And then uh, a couple years later, I had, I had actually moved to another church, but she sent me a letter, and she said, God gave me the grace to forgive and I'm finally free. And she was so excited. A month later, she sent me another letter. They, they discovered who my husband's killers were, and they, they're prosecuting them. And so God kind of resolved the situation for her. But then I also have had people who've come to me about uh, a situation of unforgiveness and have been unwilling to take that step of forgiveness. What a tragedy. Jesus said, if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your, your trespasses. What he means by that, I don't think it has anything to do with salvation. I think he's talking about the, the, the believer who is unwilling to let go of a bitter spirit. And because of that, they don't have the fellowship of God in their life. Uh, so, uh, take care of those situations. If there's some, uh, something that God has told you to do that you said no. I'm not going to do that. I, you know, uh, I, I think in some ways I was tempted to say that when God called me to preach. I, I actually told God, I said, Lord, please make this real clear. <laughs> you know, I, I need to know for sure. And uh, he was gracious to me and he did that. But there was a struggle there. Uh, sometimes I think people will say no to God and then they enter a season of life which is a, is a spiritual desert and their fellowship is broken. Because they've been unwilling to be obedient to God. So consider your fellowship so important in your relationship with God. If you're going to hear from God, um, you need to consider that. So what do you consider? Consider your relationship. Consider your fellowship. Thirdly, consider your attitude. Consider your attitude. 
In verses 9 through 11, he says, uh, first of all, don't be like the horse or the mule. They have to have a bit or bridle or they won't come near you. Do you know there's some Christians like that? They will not have a personal time with God. They will not come regularly to church. I know I'm talking to Sunday night crowd here. But this is what he's talking about. He said, some of you are stubborn as an old mule. God wants to enter into fellowship with you, but you're unwilling. You won't draw near in in personal time with him in a daily relationship. Uh, You won't seek him with all your heart. He said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Half-hearted seeking doesn't bring the fellowship of God. It's not that you're earning that fellowship. It's just that God doesn't want to fellowship with somebody who doesn't want to fellowship with him. And, and that makes sense. We're the same way, aren't we? You can tell somebody doesn't like you. Guess what? Chances are you may have to pray for grace to be loving to that person, right? But you're probably not going to seek them out to spend time with them. Why? Because you, you can tell they don't like you. You know, why, why rub salt in a wound, right? <laughs> you know, uh, the same thing is true. So he's saying don't be like that. Don't, you know, sometimes... God is reaching out for people. He wants to have fellowship with them, but they're just unwilling. So many people are like that, especially in churches across our land. I think we we live in the day of easy Christianity. No effort. You you bless me. You do for me. Or I'm going to go down the road. Uh, But don't ask me, Lord, to do anything for you. Um, So... uh, Watch your, watch your attitude on that. What, what is the attitude he's looking for? He's looking for the attitude of trust. Look at verse 10. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Verse 11 follows from verse 10. When you trust in the Lord, you can be glad and rejoice and shout for joy. Amen. Paul was on a ship that was in a storm. They'd been going for days. They threw the cargo overboard, and they began to despair because it seemed there was no end to the storm, and they were just being blown around. The sail uh, was gone. They weren't steering. They'd just been carried around by the storm. And uh, everybody is, is, is growing more and more worried, more and more concerned and, and uh, they're distressed. But Paul said, hey, wait a second. I had a dream. And God says, we're not going to lose anybody off this ship. Throw the stuff overboard and you trust God. He's going to lead you to shore. Paul has peace in the midst of the storm. Why? He's heard from God. I want to tell you something. When you, when you have trust in God, when you're walking by faith, you can have joy in the middle of of a hard circumstance, a Paul and Silas experience, beaten for preaching the gospel. And they go in there, they start singing worship songs. Isn't worship great? And they, they're, they're praising God. They're lifting up the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, God said, I can't help it. I just got to set those guys free. <laughs> he sends an earthquake. The doors open up. And they wait, and then the 
the jailer and all his household get saved. I I want you to know your attitude of faith can transform the way you approach life. When you are down, when you're discouraged, when you're struggling in your life, what you need to do is draw near to the Lord in worship. Draw near to Him in His Word. Let Him feed your faith and renew your perspective. And what you'll find is you have the same circumstances, but you have a different attitude. You're trusting in the Lord. Uh, So, the attitude is important. Jesus said... um, it will be to you according to your faith. Think about that for a second. Everything in your Christian life depends on faith. Another scripture says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Well, that kind of makes it clear, doesn't it? <laughs> that is the attitude God is looking for. You look at Jesus, what did he say over and over again? Believe, believe, believe. We're in disciple training, we were talking about that tonight. Um, he would say, how great faith this person has, but he'd say, oh, you have little faith. It's a theme. Paul said in, in Romans that the victory of God is shown from faith unto faith. And so, consider your attitude. If you're to draw near to God, the way you draw near to God is by faith. Like you do everything else in the Christian life. Uh, you, you do so trusting in Him. That's the attitude that makes, makes it possible. Uh, one of the things that, that I'll do is I ask the Holy Spirit to trust through me. You ever, you ever have those roller coaster faith? Up one day, down the next. Or maybe up one hour, down the next. I, I've had that too. Um, and you say, well, Lord, if, I, if, if trust is the key and I'm having trouble trusting, well, guess what? You can take heart because Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that got it going. <laughs> without him, without the Holy Spirit, without his word that, that is used by, by Christ to give us faith, um, there would be no trust And he's the one who sustains it. I I love what Peter says. We're kept by the power of God through faith. So Jesus sustains that faith and we're kept by God. So so ask God to give you faith when you're struggling in faith. Ask God to trust, uh, trust through you as you approach him. But make sure you have that attitude of trust in your life. It will make a huge, huge difference. And by the way, One reason people are are like horses and mules and won't come to God is they really don't believe either that it will do any good to approach him or they don't believe what he says about his heart of of love toward them, that he wants to meet with them. Uh, Sometimes faith, the lack of faith is seen in how we live our lives, Right? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it abundantly. Do we believe that? Well, if we do, we listen to what Jesus has to say, right? 
if we don't, we think, well, the world says, well, Jesus just wants to steal all my joy, and uh, he doesn't want me to enjoy anything. And so if I believe that, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to follow the, the world's example. So uh, faith is, is crucial to everything in life. Make sure you consider your, your attitude. And if you want to hear from God, it's so important to come with an attitude of faith. Finally, consider your blessings. So consider your relationship, consider your fellowship, consider your attitude. Finally, consider your blessings. This is, this is the good stuff here. Verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 talks about several blessings that come when you have this attitude of faith in your life. Christ becomes your hiding place. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? Did you ever hide under the covers when you were a kid when you thought the boogeyman was in the closet? Why did you do that? You're trying to find security, right? When you put your trust in God, Christ becomes your security. And, and there's something, it, it's, it's hard to explain, but when you draw aside and you... Uh, worship God or you hear from him in his word and he begins to change your heart what you find is that what was worrying you what was making you insecure what was bringing fear to you all of a sudden in a moment of time in his presence you sense the security that's there it's a beautiful thing a great blessing of God I'm secure in him Elijah and Elisha knew that right Elijah says, uh, hey, these 50 men, fire's going to come from heaven and take care of you. I don't have to worry about you guys. <laughs> you know, uh, why? Because God was with him. If God is for us, who can be against us? He's our security. You protect me in times of trouble. Protection is such a great blessing of God. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Isn't it great when God answers prayer and you're delivered in your circumstance, whatever it may be? But then verse 8, which is the the reason for the title of this message, he says something else happens when you live by trusting God. He says, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. Isn't that interesting? With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Now, it's kind of interesting that it's literally in the Hebrew it says, I will give you counsel. My eye on you. <clears throat> the idea, I think, could be a couple of things. I Like this translation here. I will give you counsel with my eye on you. So that he's saying, that I give you counsel based on my perfect knowledge of your situation. But I think you could take it a different way as well. I will give you counsel and my eye is always on you. Isn't that a comforting thought? Um. When you trust in God, God is intimately concerned with the details of your life. His eye is on you. Um, when you fall in love. It, I don't know, some, some of you may not. I, I was kind of goofy when I, when I fell in love, you know, with, with, with Sherry. I remember after I proposed to her, we were really excited. We went out and ate at Chili's, Okay good Baptist thing to do, I guess. And uh, 
We were just staring into each other's eyes, right? Oh, isn't she wonderful? Yeah. You know, and uh, you, you just had this, uh, this fixed gaze. I think that's what he's talking about here. God says, I want you to understand, I delight in you. I love you. I am concerned about the details of your life. My gaze is always upon you. And because I care so much about you and I'm constantly looking at what's going on in your life, I want to give you guidance in the middle of it. I want to show you the way to go. I want to instruct you through my word, through teaching, through sharing with Christian friends. I I want to instruct you through the Holy Spirit in your life and show you the way to go to give you my counsel. Jesus, the scripture says, would be called the wonderful counselor. I want to tell you, there are a lot of different things out there on counseling. And I've got, I've, I've bought books on counseling. Okay? But one thing that kind of, kind of, changed the way I looked at all that stuff was when I found a book where they, he encouraged it. I don't know, this doesn't seem like that re- revolutionary of, of an idea when, when you say it out loud, but it, it, was, it was a change in the way I thought about things. He said, ask God to guide you in your counsel. Ask God to show you how to minister to this person. Ask God to speak to you and to the person who's come for counseling to show you the way to go. And I began to kind of think about that and mull that over in my mind. I thought, you know what? That's exactly what I need to do. Isn't it about the Holy Spirit? You know, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And so I've begun to do that. Uh, Sometimes people come to me with a problem. I'll say, Lord, give me wisdom. (laughs) Guide me in this situation. Um, but, But that's the idea. Not just in, in helping somebody else, but in your own life. When you don't know what to do. God, what should I do with this situation at work? Give me wisdom. Show me the way to go. Show me how to respond to this person that hates my guts. Have you ever had that situation? <laughs> Show me how to be a Christian. Have you ever wondered? The Bible talks about rebuke and the Bible talks about forgiveness and, you know, Faithful to the wounds of a friend. How do you put all that stuff together into a Christian character that's consistent? I've been confused by that. Well, do I rebuke this person? If I rebuke this person, does it say I'm supposed to be kind and tenderhearted? How do I fit all this stuff together? How do I figure it out? What is the specific thing that I'm supposed to do in this specific circumstance that I'm in? That's where you come to God and you say, okay, Lord, what do I need to do? Um, Peter and John, when they stood before the Sanhedrin, the Bible says they took note of them. They were unschooled and ordinary men. I guess they didn't have any counseling books. But they took note of these men that they had been with Jesus. Can I tell you what sets us apart from everybody else in this culture? is we have the opportunity as children of God to be with Jesus. To hear from him in his word. To hear from him in his, his spirit. Guide us and give us peace about a cor- course of action. 
usually I'll pray over several days for something that I'm, I'm trying to figure out and see if there's a consistency there. So it's not my, my emotions change day by day. But the counsel of God is consistent. Um, but that's what sets us apart. And, and when you walk in faith in Christ and you base your decisions on his word and, and you help ask the Holy Spirit to apply it. Remember what Jesus said? He told the disciples, he said, uh, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to guide you into all truth. And he's going to remind you of the things that I told you. And he's going to help you apply these things in your life. He's going to instruct you. Um, How do we deal with this situation? We've got these Grecian widows and these Hebrew widows. And they all have needs and there's not enough of us to go around. So they prayed. They sought God's leadership, and that's where the the deacon ministry was born. And they said, choose these men who are are full of faith in the Holy Spirit and set them apart for this ministry. And the Bible says the church grew, and as we talked about this morning, God was adding daily to those who, who were being saved. You see, God directed them. There was no deacon ministry in the Old Testament. How did they decide what to do? Well, they had a problem in the church, and they took it to God. I'm convinced we need to take the problems in the church to God. The problems in our families, the problems in our individual life, take it to God. Lay it at his feet. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. But it's not just an exercise of venting to somebody. You know, sometimes you just need to vent, right? And God is a great person to vent to. But it's more than that. It's casting upon you. Your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Guess what? He's going to do something about it. Whether it's in answering a prayer, whether it's in showing you, maybe through his word or through the counsel of a Christian friend, God lays something on their heart to share with you. Um, but God will respond, and he'll work in your circumstance. Look at what he says here. I will instruct you. I will show you the way to go. There have been so many times I've not known the way to go. What about you? I'll show you the way to go. Take it to him. Colossians says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. If you don't have peace, don't take the steps toward that particular decision. There have been times I've had people pressure me for a decision. I've said, oh, I just don't have peace about it. My mother one time... She got approached by the nominating committee to ask her to, to do a certain job. I don't know what job it was. She said, give me a few days to pray about it. And the person said, well, you don't, we don't have time for that. You need to make a decision now. Well, she said, then the answer is no. <laughs> she wasn't going to move without letting God give her a piece if this was the place she was to serve. Um, <clears throat> so um, he says, I'll show you the way to go. I'll keep my eye upon you. I'll give you my counsel. I'm I'm very grateful for all the blessings that we have as a church in America. We've got, praise God, for for libraries. And the Bible says the multitude of counselors, their safety. Praise God for um, the things that we have written about his word. Praise God for the the things that are out there that counsel in different ways of doing ministry. But you know, 
the best counsel that we can receive comes from him. And uh, sometimes there is a specific way God wants to do something. There's a specific thing that he has for a specific church. I, I remember uh, when I was about 10 years old hearing, or maybe I was 11, hearing uh, D. James Kennedy share about how God birthed in his heart evangelism explosion. And it was so cool. Uh, and God used that in their church. It was exactly what God wanted to use their church to do. And guess what? They reached all kinds of people throughout Fort Lauderdale, Florida. How many people will be in the kingdom because somebody listened to God? God gave him some steps. He wrote them. I don't even remember what the steps were now, but he wrote those steps down, and he followed those steps that God had given him, and God used him to do great ministry. William Carey, the father of modern missions, it was a missionary to India. People told him if God wants to save the heathen, he can take care of it himself. He doesn't need you. But William Carey had, just had a great burden. And uh, he, he, had a, he had a map of the world, and he would, he would pray for different nations on the map. And God just gave him this great burden to reach people who hadn't heard the message of Jesus Christ. Finally, he said, listen. You guys may not give me money, but I'm going to go to India. God has laid it on my heart, and I'm going to go. Wasn't easy for him. But can I tell you, God used him to bring many, many people to faith in Jesus Christ and to, to put the building blocks of a mission there in India and eventually affected the world. And the mission-sending societies all over Europe and, and eventually in America uh, that, had, that have made such a profound difference for the cause of Christ. Why? Because somebody listened to God. What could God do with the people of South Clinton Baptist Church if we as a body listened to him? Not just in the big things, but in the little things. If we're obedient to follow God in the way that we, we know to follow him. I'm, I'm convinced part of the problem in America is that we haven't dealt with the fellowship issue. I think there's a lot of, a lot of churches, a lot of individuals who are living in sin, a lot of people who haven't confessed sin, um, and we're not hearing from God. And it doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter how many resources we have. If we don't hear from him, we're in serious trouble. Because I'm going to tell you something. The answer isn't in some expert's book. The answer is in an encounter with the living God. He's the one who can change things. What would happen? What would it look like if every person at South Clinton Baptist Church was completely surrendered to Jesus? I think revival would break out. I think we'd see things that would blow our minds, that God would do a work. Um, our kids wouldn't forget, <laughs> that people in this community wouldn't forget. I want to tell you, when God steps into a situation, everything changes. Everything changes. What was hard, you ever swim upstream, you feel like you're swimming upstream in life? 
I experienced this at my last church. I was doing all this work, trying to do the work of, of the kingdom. Finally, I just said, God, this is not working. I'm just giving, I'm giving up. If you're going to do it, do it. And, and, you know, I just felt a freedom to kind of give up some of the things that I was doing. And God ended up sending revival. And, and what I was trying to do in my energy, when God showed up in power at that place, it, it, it was miraculous. Conviction descended. I, I want to tell you, there are people weeping at the altar. Nobody would come forward. People broken over sin, people repenting, people being changed, people being saved. And I didn't have to coerce them. I had one fellow, he told me, he said, for two months, it seems like you've been talking directly to me. He said, do you know something about me? I said, no, I don't know anything about you. That's the Holy Spirit. And it was as though... I'd been fighting upstream, fighting upstream, fighting upstream, and the switch clicked. God showed up, and now, like floating on a, on a raft on top of the water, just going where, where God's giving you the power to go. And, and it was all the difference in the world when God shows up. Listening to God. Um, I don't know what the specifics of that looks like for you. Maybe the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something in your life and said, you know, that's not pleasing to me. You need to confess that. Maybe you need to come to this altar. You know, confess it in your seat, but confess it. (laughs) Um, I think probably most people here are saved tonight. Uh, You know, uh, uh, that's what I would think. But I don't know your heart. Maybe you need to deal with the relationship. Or maybe... You need to deal with, with a lack of faith in your life. You just need to come to this altar and say, Lord, I, I just haven't trusted you. I don't believe you're going to do th- things in my life. I don't believe you're going to work in, in my life. I don't believe you're going to work in this church. I don't believe you can use me. And just tell him. And, and put, it, put it all out there. God knows it anyway. And say, Lord, change my heart. Give me a heart of faith. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Maybe, you're, maybe you have dealt with a relationship, you dealt with a fellowship. Uh, maybe you, you, you have a heart of faith, but uh, God has, as we're spoken, God has put something in your heart to do. He's shown you the way to go. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion. But sometimes you just know, hey, I need to do this. Um, I never will forget... Um, uh, my, uh, my friend Henry Lingenfelter came to preach a, a revival for my dad years ago and he preached on something that had nothing to do with forgiveness but at the end of the service the spirit of God came down and people that have been mad at each other for years went and apologized to each other he'd not told them to do it God told them to do it <laughs> <laughs> and they listened. And guess what? Revival went I think they had a service for it was like lasted three and a half to four hours long. Some of you are like, I'm not sure I want that. <laughs> but, uh, but that's what happened. I mean, they were all excited to have it. I mean, God showed up. 
Maybe God has put something upon your heart to do. Will you say yes to him? It's a powerful thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, we, we do want to hear from you. Speak to us through your scripture. Apply that scripture to our hearts and, our, and to our specific situations through your spirit and just impress it upon our hearts, Lord, as we seek your face. Lord, show us the way to go. Help us respond in faith. Lord, help us have an attitude of trust in you. Help us deal with uh, our relationships.